Heart takes, not hot takes. This is Everyone is Wrong, a counterintuitive pop culture podcast. I'm your host, Seth Sommerfeld. Thanks for listening. My guest today is a regular Rube Goldberg, is the Harry to my Marv, and always chooses topics which force me to watch at least three movies. (laughs) In the wake of Disney Plus releasing the new film, Home Sweet Home Alone, he has thrown a wrench into our family holiday plans by not traveling the path of conventional thinking and instead swing proverbial paint cans at the heads of those who do not like 1997's Macaulay Culkin free Home Alone film, Home Alone 3. Everyone is wrong, but Kevin Parker isn't. Thanks for coming on again. Kevin! Thank you, Seth. Thanks for having me. Sorry I keep making you watch so many franchise movies. No, I try. I tried to get a little Home Alone Kevin in there for, uh, for starters, but... Uh, <laughs> To be Alex. We need an Alex on this podcast. Yes, we need an Alex, but there's not an Alex. I don't, there's not a Alex. Um, no. The no mom's, the mom's a little more composed, I feel like, in this, but we're getting ahead mm. of ourselves. <laughs> and let's just hop into the background of Home Alone 3. Home Alone 3 is, and I know this is going to come as a shock, the third installment of the Home Alone franchise. <gasps> yeah. It follows the original 1990 holiday classic Home Alone. And its hugely successful sequel, 1992's Home Alone 2, Lost in New York. Both of the prior films starred Macaulay Culkin in the role that made him a child star of the 90s as Kevin McAllister, a Chicago kid whose family holiday plans get thwarted, leaving him home alone one year and then on his own in New York City another year. Both times he must fend off the threat of the robber duo The Wet Bandits, portrayed by Joe Pesci and Daniel Stern, who was a focal point in our last episode, Rookie of the Year. Kevin does this with a series of ingenious booby traps. Both the original films were written and produced by John Hughes and directed by Chris Columbus. They were massive box office successes, earning... $825 million at the box office combined, while the two of them cost less than $50 million total to make. Now, take almost all that info and throw it away for Home Alone 3. The only common DNA (laughs) that crosses over in Home Alone 3 is that there's once again a kid alone in Chicago, fending off intruders, and the movie is written and produced by John Hughes. The film is also directed by Raja Gosnell, who edited the first two Home Alone films. This was Raja's directorial debut, and he would go on to direct Never Been Kissed, the live-action Scooby-Doo movies, the Smurfs movies, and the American cinematic classic Beverly Hills Chihuahua, which now that I say that, somebody's going to want to come on and defend Beverly Hills Chihuahua. I'm sure there's a lot of good movies in this guy's filmography that we could do episodes about. <laughs> yep. I don't know which ones they are because I haven't seen any other others. <laughs> the story of Home Alone 3 revolves around an entirely new, unconnected cast of characters. The original plan was for a film to star teenage Macaulay Culkin, but he'd given up acting before production started, so they reworked everything so that it could be an independent, in air quotes, uh, sequel. Instead of Culkin, the film stars Alex D. Linz as eight-year-old Alex Pruitt. He is left 
alone at home because he gets the chicken pox and neither of his parents can get off work to stay home with him. Meanwhile, his brother and his sister have to go to school, which also is an interesting point is this is not a Christmas movie because it's just a Chicago winter movie. Alex being home alone wouldn't be a problem, except a crew of four international spies accidentally switched bags with Alex's cranky old neighbor at an airport. The issue here is that the bag that was switched included a remote control car. That wouldn't be a problem, except the burglars hid a computer chip which can make missiles undetectable inside the car in order to bypass security. Alex comes into possession of said remote control car after poorly shoveling his cranky neighbor's sidewalk too late. So she just gives him a remote control car as like, you don't get paid, but here's a remote control car, kid, which strange punishment. But anyway, now he has a missile chip that can destroy the world, essentially. (laughs) Very bad things can happen. Like Kevin McAllister before him, Alex must defend his home turf through elaborate traps which physically torture the foreign spies. Home Alone 3 was released in theaters on December 12th, 1997. Unlike its predecessors, it was not a massive box office smash, though it did okay, making just over $79 million against a $32 million budget. So it wasn't like a box office bomb, but when the prior movies both made over $300 million and you make less than 80, that's not on the same level. While the first Home Alone was praised by critics and fans alike, it is fresh with a 66% on Rotten Tomatoes, 71% among top critics, and an 80% audience score. And Home Alone 2 wasn't as critically adored but still adored by fans. It was only 35% among critics, 38% among top critics, but at an audience score of 62%. Home Alone 3 scored with neither sect. It has a foul 29% among critics, 38% among top critics, and an even lower score among the audience of only 27%. It is a movie that was truly disliked across the board. But before we dive into what critics have to say about the movie... Kevin, what's your history with Home Alone 3? Yeah, so I was eight years old when this movie came out. I don't think I saw it in theaters, but I know it was on video all the time. Right. Same age that Alex is in this movie. Uh, I was not someone who owned the original Home Alone. I know I saw it enough times that I knew it pretty well, Mm -hmm. but it was forbidden in my house to watch Home Alone because it's far too violent. Uh, So I grew up with that being a... uh, and outrageous, not uh, accessible hot commodity that you could only watch at a friend's house. The taboo film um, that is Home yeah. Alone. So then uh, I never saw Home Alone 2 until I was much older. Home Alone 3 comes out, and uh, I'm just the right age for it. And I love Home Alone 3 so much. Uh, and I did not watch it for about 10 years between being a kid and rediscovering it when I was older. And I did not think it would hold up. And it does, as long as you watch it from the mindset of an eight-year-old kid, which I would argue is true of the original Home Alone as well. And I think people have just forgotten that. 
because they're nostalgic for it, so they love it anyway. Mm -hmm. I think both films require the same mindset, and if you go into them both in good faith, you will enjoy them both. All right. Well, we will talk for a second about what the critics had to say before launching into your defenses, and one of the critics is right in line with you. So, as stated, critics were not kind to Home Alone 3. It should be noted that Oh, so many critics made a play on the line, something akin to, instead of seeing this, you should stay home alone. (laughs) The amount of times that was used was just off the charts. Joy Boyer of the Orlando Sentinel wrote, whatever you may think Home Alone 3 is like, the reality is worse. As Macaulay Culkin succinctly put it, in the original film, ah, or words to that effect. Further adding, quote, how to suggest the level of humor here. Number three makes number two look as fresh as number one, and the new film makes the original Home Alone seem like a Buster Keaton classic. USA Today's Andy Seller opined, in writer-producer John Hughes's latest shameless reworking of his original brutish blockbuster, there are no surprises, just four spies instead of two burglars trying to get into a little boy's house. Twice the bad guys, half the laughs. Considering that Hughes has already recycled elements of Home Alone in 101 Dalmatians and the current Flubber, among other films, a question presents itself. Does Hughes get paid each time he writes the same script? Which is harsh. (laughs) And also a sentiment echoed by James Sanford of Rec Arts Movie Reviews, who said the movie was, quote, further proof, as if any were needed, that John Hughes' scripted movies are now a thing to be feared instead of anticipated, as they might have been 10 years ago during his Breakfast Club, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, Pretty in Pink heyday. And then the last harsh critic I will read was Chris Perry of eFilmCritic.com, and I will just read the entirety of his review because it's, like, so short. Those evil bastards on... All Nippon Airlines inflicted this foul piece of dreck on me somewhere (laughs) over the Pacific. If not for a tight-fitting seatbelt keeping my sushi in its place, I would have had to use the bag. There's a very simple way to describe this movie. Cynical exercise in extracting cash from unsuspecting kids and parents on the basis of a lucky late 80s hit and a tired formula of bashing criminals over the head with heavy objects. There is even an easier way to describe it. Utter shit. Steer clear. Stab anyone who tries to make you watch it. No really (laughs) stab them in the heart. (laughs) End quote. (laughs) Which, I don't think he liked... for not stabbing me in the heart. (laughs) Kevin, I don't think he liked this movie that he watched on a plane. And also, he doesn't know what decade the original Home Alone came out in. But what's that noise in the distance? By God, that's Roger Ebert's music. The patron saint, everyone is wrong, is here from beyond the grave to once again defend the movie that my guest wants to talk about. While everyone else piled on Home Alone 3, 
Ebert had a three-star review of the film, which, counter to the rest of his peers, praised Lynch's performance as Alex and director Raja Gosnell. Ebert wrote, quote, Call me hard-hearted, call me cynical, but please don't call me if they make Home Alone 3. These words from my review of Home Alone 2 now have to be eaten. To my astonishment, I like the third Home Alone movie better than the first two. I'm even going as far to recommend it, although not to grown-ups, unless they're having a very silly day. So once again, <laughs> Roger Ebert is here just liking stuff. Just liking to stuff rescue. <laughs> to the rescue once again. So Kevin, why is everyone wrong about Home Alone 3? Everyone, except for Roger Ebert, is wrong about Home Alone 3 um, because it is delightful and uh, you don't need to be having a very silly day. You just need to say to yourself, I will have a very silly time watching this movie. Mm -hmm. I think anyone who dislikes this movie, any adult who dislikes this movie, will decide that they dislike it within the first 30 seconds. Uh, Because you've got a movie that's a sequel, seven years after the original, none of the same cast, not the same director, very much feels like, oh, this is not a real movie, it's just a cash grab is generally considered among the same category as like the other made for TV sequels that they did later on. Though it's not a made for TV one. It's not. It was released in theaters. And so you're already going to be going into it thinking, I bet this isn't going to be a real Home Alone movie. But then you hear the music come in, the John Williams score, and you see the little logo of the houses and you see a John Hughes production and you think, oh, okay, maybe let's see. Will this, will this work out? I bet we're going to, you know, now cut to a, a rich suburban Chicago household where there's a noisy family and we'll get, you know, we'll get our usual home loan treatment. Right. That, that's so that's totally what I'd expect when I turn on this movie. I'm yeah. just going to see the, the moppish kid just, you know, do playing with some gadgets. That's going to be the first thing that I see when I turn that's on this That's the first movie. thing we see. It's not going to be a skyscraper in Hong Kong <laughs> where an international crime ring is conducting deals with Austrian terrorists to obtain missile computer chips that will lead to world wars that could not possibly be the way that home alone three will that would, begin that would be ridiculous kevin that would be that would be that an would absurd be so way silly. for the movie to start like with a bad guy with like sharks in like big tanks behind yeah, him and stuff like that that would that would be that would be aquarium behind no, him that that won't that couldn't happen so uh so so what's your no. so what's your first point exactly what what is this this point so my first point is that all of those things happen and it's wonderful and it's wonderful because all of those things happen in just the space of a couple of lines. You get so little time to establish all this information about what movie this is going to be. And that it's going to be this huge spy movie and not a little burglar movie. And I think that is great because I think every kid's movie should have spies in it uh, because <laughs> spies are the ultimate... They're the ultimate wish fulfillment kids genre because kids have basically the same understanding of what adults do, of what spies do that adults do. Right. Like we all just base what we think spies do off of the movies we see. None of us actually know. And right. adults just happen to watch more serious spy movies. So they think, oh, it's it's more paperwork and intrigue and backstabbing as opposed to more gadgets and hanging from rooftops and things like that. But we don't know. It's it's all just nonsense. So it's totally feasible to have a, a kid's movie where there's spies 
And it doesn't break any more rules than any average James Bond movie would. It doesn't require any more suspension of disbelief to think that this could actually happen. You just got to go into it thinking, what would I want to see if I was a kid living out a spy movie? This is the movie you would get. Yeah. Kid, eight-year-old boy <laughs> beats up four spies in his home. It's it, yeah. The, the the summation is every kid's movie is better with spies is the first defense yeah. point. And yeah, it's a very interesting thing. Like it's also like very of that period spy movies. Like the the movie that it immediately reminded me of, like when you have that opening spy sequence, was Spy Hard, which the like late post Naked mm-hmm. Gun parody of spy movies with Leslie Nielsen, and it's just like. It's that almost a parody of how the spy movie plays out. It's that specific, Mm -hmm. but like playing it seriously in a kiddie kind of sentence. Yeah. Like in a normal spy movie, there's a handoff with the guy who's selling them the computer chip. And then he goes back into his car. And in a normal spy movie, that guy would have definitely like blown up. They would have like rigged the movie, but it's a kid's movie. So it's just like. Oh, it turns out the guy who sold them the chips and was super nervous is just like, he's super nervous, but he's fine. He's fine. Yeah. Which is more realistic because most spies probably don't actually kill the people they work with as soon as they're done working with them, as opposed to what movies would lead us to believe. Yeah. It, would, it seems like burning all your sources would not be the best in-field mm-hmm. uh, operation. Might draw some attention, draw some heat. So I think we'll I think we'll go talk more deeply about some of the specifics of their spying in a later point. But mm-hmm. that's a good it's a good general jumping off point that unlike the wet bandits, this is not and also Alex doesn't really totally know this at first. It's just like he suspects like he's kind of rear windowing things when he's at home. Yeah. And he's just looking and he's like, These people don't live in my neighborhood. And they're walking in like circles and they must be spies because that's the way that like an eight year old works. Yeah. Just like these weird people, they're looking around. It's It's got to be spies, but he, he, does, spies. he doesn't put together like, oh, this is some terrorist plot or something. He's just like the spies are probably going to do something bad and like steal. Like he probably thinks of them very much still in the like way that Kevin thinks of the wet bandits, but it's just. He doesn't totally understand the scope of what he's in, even though it's much more intense. Yeah, yeah. That's when you're a kid, you, you're in your house and it's late at night and you think about, oh, no, what if someone broke in? What would I do? You look around. What toys could I use as weapons? What's my heaviest toy? What's my sharpest toy? Where can I hide? Where can I escape? And you're always thinking about those things. And the jump from it's burglars coming into my home in the middle of the day when I'm the only one here to it's spies is not that big in the mind of a kid. Spies are one of the things that might come into your life at some point. It's bad guys in general. There's like just the character. Oh, it's a bad guy spy or a bad guy robber or just those are the classic tropes. Just so happens that uh, that, uh, Alex is correct in this situation that it is spies and it could have not been, but he's right this time. He's right. So then moving on to your second point of defense, what would that be, Kevin? So my second point is that uh, I like that this one maintains a respectful distance from the original film. You got the second movie, carbon copy of the first one, just a new city. 
Mm-hmm. And you could have done something similar with the third one. Uh, there were a lot of plans to do something similar. They talked about bringing back Macaulay Culkin, but they got too old. It was originally planned that John Hughes wanted to produce this movie at the same time as the second one so they could do it before he got too old, but then that didn't end up happening. They talked for a while about doing something with Kevin McAllister's son, but still having Harry and Marv be the bandits who are after him. They talked about having... Kieran Culkin's character from the original Home Alone have his own spinoff where he gets attacked by Harry and Marv. And then ultimately they just went completely different direction. None of the same characters, no callbacks whatsoever. There's a few like, oh, that's kind of a similar prank to what happened in the first one. Yeah, there's a couple like, there's like a couple shots where it's just like, like they have the same kind of shot where it's like Marv and Harry on their back, kind of just that, Mm -hmm. that, that shot and... And it's still Chicago, and that's about that's yeah. about the extent of it. But there's no fan service. There's no like. No, there really she, isn't. There's no moment where like the mom says, "Oh, our friends the McAllisters called. They're doing well over in the other part of Chicago." Right. It's completely disconnected. But this still feels very much like a Home Alone movie, even before it does anything that a Home Alone movie does, because I feel like the spirit of the magic of the original Home Alone is still here. There's a scene towards the beginning where Alex's mom is going to leave him alone for just an hour at home. And he starts going through, oh, no, what if something bad happens? What if there's a flood? And she's like, it's not supposed to rain. And he's like, oh, well, what if I die of boredom? She's like, you'll be fine. And then as she's walking out the door, he says, what about crooks? And then there's just a little musical sting. It just goes like, and his mom just turns around and she stops and thinks for a moment like she actually didn't consider that. And then she says, no, no, we'll be fine. It's We've got a nice neighborhood. It's secluded. There's only one way in and out. I'm, I'm going to be home really soon. You'll be fine there. But in that little moment, you think, oh, that's Home Alone coming. The The Home Aloneing is going to happen soon. And the spirit of the first film is finding its way into this one. And whatever little bit of magic it was that caused the power outage at the McAllister house that led to Kevin McAllister's uh, wish coming true that same bit of magic is going to come in here and it's going to protect this kid from these terrorists that we already know are after him. So you really do get the sense that this is a movie that honors the original and wants to play in the same universe, but doesn't do any of the kind of cheap fan service things that so many movies now, including the new Home Alone that just came out, would do to say, oh, look, get it? You remember the first one? Well, we're doing it too. It feels very independent while still feeling very true. Right. Yeah, it's it's not a lot of even there aren't as many like there are more callbacks to the exact same traps in like two as to one, even though though obviously that makes a lot more sense where it's just like, oh, you're not going to get us this time with X. And it's just the swerve to Y. We can get into more of that, like callback stuff and some of that stuff in the junk drawer um, with what the newer one does. So your third point involves the thing that it is very hard to explain (laughs) at the very beginning of the podcast (laughs) when I was trying to give the plot away, but I will uh, cede the floor to you to further explain that. Yes. So I think this is one of my favorite MacGuffins in any movie. So the MacGuffin is the item in the spy movie that all the spies want to get and they're all chasing down the whole time and it does something very important but it doesn't actually matter to the audience what it does. could be anything. In this case, it could be something that causes missiles not to be detectable by radar. That's not going to play into the plot at all. We're not going to see any missiles. The important thing is there's a thing and we have to get the thing. And in this case, it's the computer chip. 
And it could be as simple as that. This computer chip somehow accidentally ended up in someone's bag that ended up in Alex's house. And now the crooks are coming to get it. He doesn't know what it is. But they really layer it. They do so many different things with this where the computer chip, in order to get through airport security, they hide it inside of a toy remote control car. Because obviously it would be Christmas season-ish at least. So it's like, oh, somebody would be traveling with that as like a gift for a kid. Like a toy, yeah. So that makes sense. That's a good little thing. Then as the crooks are coming out of uh, the TSA, Mrs. Hess, the neighbor who lives across the street from Alex, as we'll later learn. The cranky lady. Yeah, happens to have the same bag as the crooks. And so she grabs their bag by mistake and gets away before they realize anything's wrong. She makes it all the way back to her home. They manage to track her through the airport, find out that she's going to Chicago, chase her to Chicago, get all the way to almost catching her in a taxi, but not quite catch her. And so they track the taxi to her neighborhood, find out where she went, and they know almost exactly where she is, but not quite. They know just what street she's on, not what house. And so they have to go through every house in the neighborhood to try and find this remote control car. Meanwhile, Alex is watching out his room from his telescope because he's got, he's got the chicken pox. So he's home. So right there, you also have something that deviates from the original movies. He's not home alone because he got abandoned. He's home alone because he just happens to be at home at certain intervals that these spies are working and his mom has to go out and his dad happens to not be home yet. So you don't have this whole premise of the family abandoning him or anything like that. But he is bored and looking out his window through his telescope and sees all these suspicious things, all these people running lookout who he doesn't recognize. And someone's walking with his neighbor's dog, but it's not his neighbor who owns the dog. It's someone else who seems to have stolen the dog. And so he decides to start spying on these people. And he calls the cops when he sees someone inside someone's house the first time. Cops come, but there was no one there because they escaped in time. And because he doesn't realize these are talented spies who have the ability to rig an alarm system so it won't go off. So the cops come in and there's no sign that anyone broke in. So they think he's crazy. He goes through it again the second day. Yeah, he's he's the boy who cried wolf in this situation. Yeah. Where, and, and as you were saying, it's like the ultimate little boy, you know, eight-year-old thing where it's just like, oh, there's definitely spies here. So like, yeah, it would be, be the type of thing that a kid might just call because he was stir crazy at home and mm-hmm. let his imagination. Yeah, but it's. It's very believably set up where he underestimated the criminals. He doesn't know what kind of abilities they have to hide their tracks. So he calls the cops and both times he just looks more and more like he's just pranking everyone or just seeing things or just bored alone at home. And so it's become very clear to him that no matter how many times he calls the cops, that's not going to help. So he decides to take matters into his own hands and spy on the criminals. How he chooses to do that is my favorite element of the whole movie. He straps a video camera to, what else, the remote control car, which is hiding the computer chip, and right. chases them around the neighborhood, spying on them, breaking into homes. Looking for the a very sad car. That they're looking for. Yeah. So it's ironic, it's suspenseful, it's very clever, and it works really well where he's actually going in to neighbor's dog doors with the car, tracking down these burglars, and then getting chased around by them. And then that turns out to be how they discover him, but also how he discovers what they're really after, because they momentarily catch the car, take out the videotape, but then don't get to taking out the actual chip. And then he manages to get the car away from them, brings it back home, 
looks inside, sees the videotape is missing, and realizes they were still chasing the car the whole time, so there must be something else that they want. And that's when he looks inside the car and finds the chip. So it's this great multi-layered use of a MacGuffin that's much more kind of clever and intricate than most spy movies, and certainly more than most kid movies would bother to do, where you've got all these different levels of him playing them and them playing him and nobody actually knowing what where everyone's pieces on the board are you the audience have a lot more information than either the hero or the villains at that point in the story and it's really exciting to actually see that play out yeah it's a very the way they use the remote control car is a very fun element just kind of throughout because you you know the first time he sends it out you're like oh no don't don't do that that's that's not what you want to do because you're like basically honey trapping them into getting it and the movie also like doubles as a huge advertisement for the like Tyco mutilator car because it's just oh, like yeah. this is the most overpowered remote control car like of all time <laughs> like it's one thing it that does go out of range at one point it goes out of range at one point but not when it's like through somebody else's house that's across the street no. that's still in range it's just when it's yes. like uh two blocks away like r- turning a corner it goes out of rage but also it's like jumping over fences yeah. and like it has enough power that it skids off the lady spy who catches it mm-hmm. it is just yeah, it can be ex- weaponized. yeah it's an extreme you know what i'll give maybe the spies like preloaded it to be super advanced Probably. i'll use that as my uh way around getting over the fantasticalness of how dope this remote control car is but maybe the chip is powering it to be even better than it is i yeah, don't know yeah maybe it's who knows <laughs> who knows but it is <laughs> just a very fun plot device the way that they use that MacGuffin for sure that it's just it just kind of to Avoid the pun, but also say it, it drives the plot. Oh. Oh, I hate myself. Anyway. <laughs> well, you get to see a lot of Alex being really smart and having a lot of ingenuity there. Like, obviously, there's a lot of places throughout the film where he comes up with things that no eight-year-old would really come up with. But they do a really good job of setting up the ways that he is clever, specifically right. himself. And, like, he, he goes into the house and realizes once he gets the car in there that he didn't think about stairs. There's just like four steps and he's like, okay, I could drive the car down, but then I'm not going to be able to get it back up. And so he like has the car back up over a carpet to knock the carpet down to make a little ramp. And it's like, oh, okay, that's the kind of thing that, you know, a smart kid would think of, but not a genius kid who couldn't possibly exist in real life. So you get on his side as being kind of worthy, a worthy opponent of these, these criminals. Yeah. And speaking of being a worthy opponent for the criminals, I think that dovetails very nicely into your fourth point of defense. It does, which is that uh, the criminals in this movie, unlike in any of the other Home Alone movies, are worthy opponents of Alice as well. These are legitimately threatening, good at their jobs, professional spies who I, just... I, I will I'll debate some of that good at their okay. jobs, but we, <laughs> we, we, not... can get it, we can get into that. Go, go ahead, finish your point. There, there are dumb decisions and there are contrivances and there are, are slip-ups and things like that. But we do see that these characters are actually a threat to him. That is one of... Because I wouldn't say that this movie is better than the original by any means. Um, I love the original, but I would say that 
that is one of the things that it does better than the original is that it actually does make you think that there are a lot more moments where he's really sincerely in danger and just where everyone is in danger. Mm -hmm. Like there's a scene early on where the mom is driving off to work and the female spy is rounding the neighborhood and she almost hits her with the car and she just kind of leans down over and says like, oh, have a nice day. And it's just very threatening body language. And you just really feel like these are dangerous people from the beginning. But yeah. they show a lot of places along the way that they're also smart and one step ahead of Alex once they figure out what his thing is. Um, there's a whole scene where they call Alex's mom to try and, you know, impersonate being one of the neighbors to try and find out if he has the remote right. control Basically, the, the woman sets up a story when he she runs into the mom on the street and then, like, continues that character that she played calling them and then intercepting the calls and all this they set up shop they set up a shop in a they like lease out one of the houses like in the neighborhood and set up shop and have their whole like mm -hmm. spy you know it's not like they're the wet bandits driving around in a van and being like looking when lights turn on yeah like alex is uh he figures out that she's calling mom so he runs and hangs up the phone and he says Look in the phone directory. Call that one then back. It's not going to be her. And so she does call her back. But then the spies have already considered that. And they found a way to intercept the call so that they can pick it up and still be the same people. And he realizes that then that they're much smarter than he gave them credit for. And so there's a lot of different places where they're actually one step ahead of each other, as opposed to in the original where it's really just Kevin is always getting the better of these villains until the very last moment when they finally catch him. And then it's scary. But you really don't feel that scared for Kevin in the first one. You never feel scared for him in the second one. And in this one, I really felt like there were a lot of places where it's like, oh, that was much smarter than I thought the spies were going to be in this movie. Also, just speaking to that threatening point, in the first movie, there's like no real threat to Kevin. In the second movie, the wet bandits at least are like, we're going to like kill you <laughs> like straight up yeah. like that. They're and saying that, but they're also like right, explaining but, their entire plan. Yeah, no, but, but I mean, at least at least there's the, like the threat of physical violence. Like, just, like in the first one, they kind of just want to rob the place like the whole time and like maybe rough the kid up. But even when they get him and the neighbor comes in and shovels them, it's not like super threatening. Meanwhile, in this movie, they literally like the spies have like put silencers on their guns and are like going to like yeah. murder people in order to get this because if they don't get that's their thing is they are because they lose the chip they're behind so they need to get this within a set time or the like international crime cabal is going to like get yeah. them their boss calls them and says i'm going to nullify the mission and all its participants if i don't have the chip by tomorrow so it's like okay so you feel some sympathy for them as well and yeah, there's the one shot that would be the same in the original movie, except with another payoff where he's right at the door with one of the criminals and he sprays him through the mail flap with spray paint and gets him in the eyes with the spray paint. And then he turns around and laughs and he's like, ha ha, what a loser. And it's like the same moment where Kevin shoots Marv with a BB gun, except as soon as he says, what a loser, a power saw just comes straight through the door, like right next to his face. And it's like, oh, I almost died. Oh, okay, I should maybe keep running. And so there's not that degree of, oh, these guys are going to fall down and make a bunch of funny noises and be angry and be hurt. It's like, no, these guys are going to get right back up and they're going to keep chasing you. Like, these are people who have been hurt in other missions and are used to it. And they might be caught off guard by you, but they're still going to chase you. Right. Like, 
and even the wet bandits could theoretically like walk away at any point in the first two movies and just be like, look, we're just not going to deal with this anymore. But these group of spies legitimately can't because if they don't get their mission, they're totally screwed. Yeah. With that said, I feel like this is the point where we need to bring up some of the flaws in just some of their basic spy work, starting with just... Okay. Okay. They take the bag to the airport that the remote control car is car is in and they use like the plastic shopping bag that like everybody else has at the airport. Like all yes. they would have had to do was like put it in like a normal a brown like woolen bag or something like that and it would have been distinct. And there's no reason why if you're putting it through airport security it needs to like be in the same bag as everybody else. <laughs> And and the nobody spies don't want and, to be distinct, right? But and nobody keeps an eye on it enough to like when they're in security, they don't like send someone through ahead of time to like, okay, you two guys mm-hmm. go and you watch so that it like comes out the other side. So then like they get minorly held up in security and the neighbor lady just grabs it. And then I don't exactly know how they know that she's going to Chicago. Like they lose track of her in the airport and then like. Look up at the board, and it says, like, one of them flips, like, now leaving Chicago. And he's, they're like, well, that's definitely it <laughs> in, like, this international airport. Yeah, it's a stretch. It's they, a stretch. They see that it's the only one that says now boarding, and they've all, they've supposedly scanned the entire airport and seen that it's not anywhere else. So they know that the bag must be on a plane, and it logically must be on the plane that's now boarding. So it's it's all yeah it's a bit of a reach but that all happens so fast that all happens very fast movie mode. The, the the main problem with their <laughs> the main problem I think I have with them as just a spy unit is they narrow it down to like what neighborhood they're in and you know like in the first movie Joe Pesci's character goes into like the different houses yeah. as like a cop and is just like scouting out all the places these people know the old lady has the car they know that like she doesn't like didn't steal the car on purpose and they don't their first instinct isn't like let's go like just like knock on these doors and be like if you encounter the old lady be like hey like our bag got switched up do you have a remote control car yeah that that would have worked but also <laughs> and they also they find out done, they, they, they find out which house do. she does eventually and then they still don't just like knock on the old ladies it's an old lady like regardless you you're like willing to like silence people like use your silencer on people but you can't just be like like you can go and figure out that information very easily and then take her out if you need to it's just like they jump like they give it they make it eight times more complicated than they need to (laughs) at the very at the very beginning and after that like once they're in it with alex it's like well they're kind of in it where they're in it and they're screwed but they just didn't like they did not take they jumped to like the make it super difficult to start with i mean it's for the the sake of the movie but they're like we definitely need to do this in the most spy way possible instead of like like let's set up shop and monitor all these houses and break in and try and find it instead of being like these people don't know us we just like lease a house right here we can just go knock on doors and be out of the country (laughs) Within like an hour after we figure out which house this is in, so they're, 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 yes. that's all. That's that's my main uh, criticism with uh, their villain, their threateningness is that they kind of just 
shoot themselves in the foot a little bit earlier. And then also there's a point late in the movie where Alex essentially like turns a gun on them. And the one guy just basically like leaves where he's like an international spy. And there's like an eight year old point with a gun pointed at him. And he's just like, well, I guess I'm out now. <laughs> like, I definitely can't like yeah. <laughs> figure out a way to overpower this kid or this kid's definitely going to like shoot me and hit me accurately enough to like take me out. He's an international spy. He's probably been like got one in the ribs before. I, yeah. I would imagine he might just like take one and then like <laughs> overpower the eight year old. But again, they're generally sure. definitely more threatening than the wet bandits for sure. I was going to say that the reason that he gets someone up on him with the gun is because he tricks him into thinking that his real gun is actually a toy gun or vice versa. He gets him to pick up a toy gun and think it's his own, which is another like, oh, yeah, you, a, a spy, wouldn't know the difference between a toy plastic gun. <laughs> the, the weight actual. difference, like just yeah. alone. He picks up a gun that has like a like suction cup dart thing and he picks dart, that up yeah. as his real gun and then he's also getting pointed another fake gun at him it turns yes. out to be like a bubble gun but talking about how these guys are more threatening than the wet bandits also can lead to your fifth and final point of defense for this movie which is that dot 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 the best thing about home alone 3 is that it is not home alone 2 i would contend controversial opinion here I would say that Home Alone 2 is the worst sequel ever made. Whew. I do not I oh do not think gosh. it is the worst movie ever made that is a sequel. It is not as bad as Home Sweet Home Alone, the one that just came out. Yeah. But for it sure. is in terms of being a movie that just completely destroys the integrity of the original film, Home Alone 2 is worse than x-men 3 it's worse than godfather 3 it's worse than it's worse than any star Whoa. wars movie <laughs> okay that, that i mean this is this is an incredibly hot take i've got to say like this is almost i i knew that this was your i knew your point was anti-home alone 2 here i did not realize how hard you were gonna go in this oh, no. direction that you are you're like saying that it's worse than like the most recent star wars movie which is just not true it's just it's just well, not okay. true <laughs> But so well, I will Summerfeld continue. I will continue to make. I continue to make your point. What? So this Home Alone two is an abomination to cinema, and this one is not. <laughs> but I'll I'll leave the floor for you. <laughs> All right. So Home Alone two is an abomination to Home Alone. Uh, it is just a carbon copy of the first movie. Everyone knows that. Some people are fine with that. Some people get bothered by it. But there are plenty of sequels that just do the exact same thing as the first movie. Right. That's fine. But. In order to do the exact same thing as the first movie, it opens with Kevin and his mom having the exact same argument. And she says to him, didn't you learn anything from what happened in the last movie? And he says, no, I didn't learn anything from what happened in the last movie. I hope it all happens again, exactly the same way. And then she says, well, I bet it will then. And then it does. So not only did you just take away all the lessons that were learned from the first movie, the really sincere arc that Kevin went through as a character, which is really good. The really strong bond with his mom in the first movie that involves a lot of penance and learning from both of them and growing. You took all of that away, but you also took away any chance that you're going to achieve the same thing in this movie, because what's to stop you from just doing the same thing in the next one? So you've got 
a movie that is retreading all the exact same steps as the first one at the expense of the first one. Every single time it does the same gag as the first one, it's saying whatever emotion you felt about that first gag was entirely superficial. It can be just recreated on another city in another landscape with different characters, but we're just going to do the same thing again, just to laugh in your face for how much you actually had an honest emotional reaction to the first film. And that really offends me. Okay. Wow. That I I can't say that I totally agree with that. I don't think Home Alone I like Home Alone 2 better than Home Alone 3. I'm sorry to say I I enjoyed it more. I would say my counter mainly is the thing that I probably like the best about Home Alone 2, which again is not like uh-huh. I don't think is like an awesome movie, but it I feel like the childhood kind of how you're talking about the childhood fantasy of like spies and stuff like that i feel like the childhood fantasy Mm -hmm. of being like alone in the big city but like being able to like have a credit card and kind of like do what you want is even like a little bit more of the like childhood fantasy wish fulfillment than just the originals being home alone because it's just like you know if you're a eight-year-old or whatever being home alone is, you know, it's it's got that like spark where it's like, oh yeah, I can eat all the ice cream and stuff like that, but it doesn't have like the wide ranging possibilities that being like alone in a city with a credit card that works can have for that childhood mind. So so I like that, even though it's totally all the same beats. It's also like more violent. Like in the original, there's a lot of things where you're like, that's very. Like, three is less violent than either of the first two Home Alone movies, for sure. But, like, Home Alone 2, there's at least three spots where it's just like, oh, this would legitimately kill them. Like, there's a spot where Kevin is, like, throwing bricks off the ceiling, and it hits, like, Marv in the head, like, five times. like, 40 feet up in the air. Yeah, it's just like, oh, well, you'd be dead from that. There's one where he gets shocked where he'd also be dead from... And there's one where like Joe Pesci, like his hair, his head catches on fire again. He dunks it into a toilet of kerosene and like the room explodes. And then it's just like, he's just like sooty. Yeah. And it's just like, oh, that would have legitimately killed them. But yeah, I definitely, yeah. there's not the same. There's definitely not the same heart into, there's definitely not like the neighbor character in that where you're like, oh, this is learning about family and stuff like that. It's mainly like there's a homeless lady and she's kind of sad and I'm going to be friends mm-hmm. with her. I and I will also say one benefit of Home Alone 2 just existing is that you get the John Mulaney joke about uh being lost in New York and how you can't do that because it's built on a grid system, which totally misses the point of the movie, but it's a very good John Mulaney joke. I always wanted to live in New York when I was a kid. I'm so excited that I get to live in New York. I saw New York City in a movie when I was a kid. It was called Home Alone 2: Lost in New York. It is a sequel Yeah, how about that movie? It was a sequel to the movie Home Alone. I remember in that movie, oh, the kid in Home Alone 2, he gets into a stretch limousine on Fifth Avenue with a large cheese pizza, and I thought, this is the height of luxury! (laughs) Now I live in New York, and I'm psyched, but that is a stupid movie title. Lost in New York, the streets are numbered. How'd you get lost in New York? I know it's kind of stupid to complain about a movie that came out 17 years ago, but I wasn't a comedian back then. So I have to do it now. 
I wish I'd been. I wish I'd been a Def Jam comic when that movie came out. I would have torn it to pieces. Be like, you seen it? You seen this Home Alone 2 lost in New York? It's a grand system, mother. Where you at? 24th and 5th? Where you want to go? 35th and 6th? 11 up and 1 over, you simple bitch. That'd be my big joke. That'd be the closer if, if I was a Def Jam comic when that movie came out. Uh, so I do like that, but I don't know. I, <laughs> I, I, can't, I, can't, I can't get on board with the strength of your opinion here, but I don't... I, I wouldn't say that it would be crazy to say that Home Alone 3 is better than Home Alone 2, but I do not share that the fire that you have in the dislike of what Home Alone Two means <laughs> to Home Alone One because, whoo, you came in hot there. <laughs> Maybe too hot. I'm sorry. No, but... it's fine. I'm fine. I, I I enjoy it. <laughs> it's got so you've got Brenda Fricker as the Bird Woman, and it's like, oh, that's a sincerely written scene, and she's really giving a good performance. But it's just doing the exact same plot progression that happened with the old man. It he's going to be scared of her at first, then he's going to not. And it's like, yeah, this one has the old neighbor who kind of fills that function, but they take it in a different direction. Mm-hmm. And the old neighbor is actually really mean person in Home Alone 3, as opposed to in Home Alone 2, where it's like, oh, this was a misunderstanding. Yeah. Um, but I think the thing that offends me most about Home Alone 2, mm-hmm. in uh, in response to your point about, oh, you do have that wish fulfillment thing of being in the city, so most of Home Alone 2, you've got a montage where he goes around, sees all these different things. Then you've got lawn sequences where he's in this big fancy hotel. It's like, oh, we're doing all these things at this hotel. You've got a big thing at a toy store. And they say, oh, the heist is going to take place at the toy store. And it's like, oh, so is it going to be like Home Alone traps and pranks taking place in a toy store? That would be fun. Or maybe in a hotel, that would be fun. Or just around the city in Central Park, that would be fun. You could do any number of things. And then at the very end of the movie, they're like, I have an uncle who's uh, not in his apartment because it's being renovated. So I'm going to go break into that apartment that we haven't seen at all this entire movie. We have no sense of the geography of this place. And right. this is where we're going to do all the Home Alone traps and such yeah. a disappointment. No, that that is 100% fair. When you see, when you're like watching the movie for the first time and you hear that the heist is going to be at a toy store, you're like, oh my gosh. He's going to set up a bunch of traps at a to- at this like FAO Schwartz style toy store. And it's going to be awesome. It's just going to be like so cool. Yeah, uh, or you know, I didn't even think of the Central Park thing, but that would have been cool if it just like somehow <laughs> it's a bunch of traps in Central Park. It's like Home Alone meets the Warriors. Like, I don't know. But yeah, yeah, they end up in this house of his uncle that's quote unquote being renovated. That is completely like gutted. Like there's not floors anymore. Like I don't understand what this renovation is. It's basically like they kept the structure and like tore out no, almost yeah. everything inside. It looks awful. Like it's looks like a condemned building inside. He somehow knows all the like in a couple hours is able to like completely figure out the floor plan of this gutted apartment house, brownstone house. It's it. Yeah. Where it's like, at least in the original, it makes sense where you're like, Oh, I know the floor plan of my house like super well because I'm eight years old and stuff like that. So being able to set up a plan in a few hours, it's just like, okay, it's a little, it's a little much you ingenious kid, but at least it is feasible sort of. 
Yeah, well, and like in in three, there is a scene where they almost do catch him and he hides in a closet, but they see that he went into the closet. And so they open the closet door and he's not there. And it's because he hid in the laundry bag that was hanging off the door. And it's like, yeah, that's the kind of thing that as a kid, you think, oh, I bet I could hide in that. I bet I could get through that hole. You know, you've done that in your house. Even if you haven't specifically played hide and seek in there, you've thought about all the ways that you could hide or outsmart someone in your house. And you think about that all the time. And if you don't have that element of playing that that kind of degree of working in a territory you're familiar with, or at least a territory that's fun, like a toy store, then why are you even doing a Home Alone movie that defeats the purpose? Yeah, I, I grant you that. I will say one other thing that's uh, good about Home Alone 2 that's comedic that's not really about Home Alone 2 is there's a very fun Saturday Night Live sketch where Kristen Wiig plays the pigeon lady and uh, basically... <laughs> is like why wait you have a credit card that works like why why are you yeah. not like doing this and then ends up murdering the wet bandits uh in cold blood it's a it's a fun <laughs> sketch I, I will say home alone 2 has strengths like i said it's not the worst movie ever made that just has the number two in the title right uh and definitely i will give you tim curry is a great addition and everything with him is great yeah he, he's, he's the, the like hotel manager doesn't have yeah. an exact one-to-one equivalent yeah yeah and you it, get some good gags with him. There's mm-hmm. some nice sentimental moments at the end. There, There is value to Home Alone 2. I'm not trying to discredit anyone who likes it, but I'm saying I think it all comes at the expense of the value of the first film. Right. And unlike other Home Alone sequels, people consider the second one canon. Like, it's not going anywhere. So if you really don't like it, it's a lot harder to dismiss it. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, I think that covers your defense points. Um, again, I, I'm not as on board with Home Alone 3 as you are. I think it's an okay, okay movie. But also, I had not seen it when I was a kid. Like, you saw it kind of in wheelhouse time. So there's probably a little bit of that attachment where I just coming in in your 30s and seeing it for the first time, it's harder to connect. Though, also, I did just see the most recent Home Alone that just came out on Disney Plus and... Uh, woof and we will get to that now as we uh get oh, yeah. any extra thoughts <laughs> any other thoughts you have that fit into the junk drawer segment i have plenty of thoughts related to this movie and the home alone franchise in general what are your uh thoughts that didn't fit into your defense points yeah i got actually a lot of leftovers on this one so we might have a bit to go through mm-hmm. i kind of tried to focus on just things that i liked about this one specifically more than the original okay in my points but there's plenty that I think this one does not as well as the original, but certainly very well. I think just the general emotional core of the film is really strong. You really believe his love of his family and his affection for his mom. Like there's a scene where he uh, like kisses her goodnight when he's setting up the pranks. And it's like, oh yeah, you really feel like this is a family that actually cares about each other as opposed to the McAllister's where they've got to earn that. It's like, oh, these are just nice people who are just in this situation, and that's really refreshing. Yeah, it helps that the McAllisters are just, like, a way over big family, so it's just, like, pure chaos at all times. And this one is just a mom and dad and brother and sister and Alex himself, which we should also point out, the sister in this movie is by far the most recognizable uh, actor in this movie. This would be uh, a young Miss uh, Scarlett Johansson, playing yes. Alex's sister uh not yeah, doing much first, but uh, like make a role. yeah it's it's uh so if you're 
a ScarJo completionist for some reason, guess what? You have to watch Home Alone 3. Yeah, well, and she's good. Like, they, no, don't, she's they fine. don't give the brother and sister a lot to do, but, like, there's a scene where they're making fun of him because he did all the prank calls and he got the family in trouble, and they just have this whole routine that they've planned out where they make him feel really bad, and they're, it's like, oh, this is a fun dynamic. Like, you think they're probably twins or they're close enough in age to each other that they kind of work as a unit against him when they're bullying him. Right. So you see, you see the kind of inner dynamics of the family there. And yeah, I think also just the relationship between Kevin and the, or between Alex and the bandits uh, in this one is strong. Like we talked about with them being a threat, but they, they also see the value in Alex very quickly, especially the lead one. Like he says right off the bat, like when only like one prank has been pulled, he's like, oh, we didn't expect that the boy would mount these defenses. We have to be on our guard. And it's like, yeah, he's not just like Joe Pesci saying, oh, this time we won't fall for it. And then he falls for it again. Right. It's not charging head head first like a dumb bull yeah it's it, there's a and little he, uh, bit there's a little bit more respect put on alex's name not that they say it but metaphorically yeah well and the one of my favorite moments is the his mom calls when he's home when he's doing all the traps his mom calls and he picks up the phone and the the main villain picks up the phone as well to listen in and his mom says oh should i come home and he's like no no don't come home go pick up the other kids from school i'm fine and so it's like, oh, he doesn't want his mom to come home because she'll get hurt if she does. Right. But the villain also in that moment, he just looks down and he says, just brave little fellow and puts the phone down. And it's like, oh, yeah, you've got like a diehard thing going on between these two characters where they actually appreciate each other's skills. Yeah, the main guy definitely has some Hans Gruber energy. Yeah. Well, and that ends up being how he outsmarts him, too, because then he sneaks into Mrs. Hess's garage where she's been tied up and is being left out in the cold to freeze to death and he knows that Alex is a good Samaritan who's going to come and help people in need and doesn't want anyone to get hurt so he just hides there for the rest of the film and waits for Alex to come in and help her and that's how he outsmarts him and it's like oh yeah you really see them kind of seeing each other as equal opponents who are playing this game together and that's very fun it's not in the genre of Home Alone and post Home Alone movies which there were so many in the 90s movies that ripped this off where the joke is Kids are smart and adults are dumb, and that's as far as it goes. Let's watch adults get hit in the head a bunch of times. Right. You really don't feel like the joke here is that they're dumb. You just feel like the joke is that they fell for it, even though they might have been smart enough not to fall for it in other circumstances. One thing that I thought, uh, just generally, and I think it's probably one of the things, is people just don't connect with Alex quite as much as they do with Kevin in the originals. And yeah. I think there's, I think there's kind of a few reasons for that. One, it's just, you know, so Kevin in the original Home Alone movies is like kind of dumb, but confident. And Alex, in a different way, is just kind of like overly smart, but less sincere. Like you mentioned the one scene where he's like talking about, you know, the things that could, you know, uh, could happen in part of it he's like why aren't you indulging like the figments of my imagination and it's just like okay like it's a smart kid but i don't think like that would be like the eight-year-old line that feels like supernatural yeah there's, there's a there's little some lines like that there's some lines where you're like i wish you were just like a little less like whiz kitty and yeah a little more a little more normal and i think that's part of what because it's not like he's terrible like a void of charisma or something and it's not like macaulay culkin's really just like you know the greatest child actor of all time 
no, Macaulay Culkin is, he's kind of a lightning in a bottle performer for that character. Right. He works because he's kind of a weird little man child and he says things that a kid wouldn't say and he looks at the camera and raises his eyebrow and says, keep the change of filthy animal. And it's like, oh, that works for Macaulay Culkin because he's not giving a good performance. He's not giving a realistic acting performance. He's giving a charisma performance. It's all about his personality and his likability. And that's kind of what really made him as a child star. And this one kind of goes in that direction with him being much, you know, smarter and more articulate than an eight-year-old would be. I mm-hmm. think the the kid does do a good job of it, but he doesn't have that sort of super magic ability that Macaulay Culkin has in that role where, yeah, if this kid slapped his cheeks and screamed down the hallway, then you wouldn't think anything about it. Right. Uh, it wouldn't become an iconic movie moment forever. Alex also does have incredible energy for a kid who has chicken pox. Like he yeah. is running around and just never seems tired at all. And I remember the chicken pox being pretty miserable. So good for <laughs> good for Alex. Yeah, he's, he's up all night sawing off metal poles from the swimming pool and doing all kinds of crazy engineering feats. No, I think I think it works. I agree. It's not a, it's not a Macaulay Culkin level finds, but I think it works about as well as you could ha- have it work for this script and just finding a kid who's generally sincere and good in the part. So one thing I will give you is definitely a weakness of this movie is the parrot. We have not discussed. We have not. It's in my notes right here to discuss the sentient parrot. Yeah. So there's a parrot uh, that feels kind of the same. Well, there's a couple animal sidekicks in this one. There's a parrot and there's a rat. And the rat is just a normal rat that does normal rat things. The parrot can talk like certain parrots can, but it doesn't talk to mimic you. It seems to have a very full and comprehensive understanding of the English yep. language as it applies to any given situation. It just talks like a human talks. It responds and hears what other people say and has a fully formed yeah. thought to follow that with, which is just fantastical in a way that uh, even Home Alone is just like, oh, okay. So now we just have Iago here, basically. I think that's probably there were a lot more movies in the 90s with animals that were much smarter, especially parrots that were much smarter than uh, they are in real life. But that's one element that hasn't aged as well. I also I would agree that the uh, I think the actual home aloneing, the actual booby traps are probably weaker. Yeah, in for sure. This one, not, not necessarily weaker in and of themselves, but they don't match with the tone that's been set up as much, especially when they do like goofy sound effects and yeah so the sound effects Uh, are most part they're playing more serious the sound effects are a thing that like the sound effects in the first two movies are also like very obvious and like sometimes jarring but the ones in this in home alone 3 are like extremely jarring at some times where you're just like did you just like find like the goofiest sound effects bank you could possibly come up with and then like sometimes pick things that don't even match what yeah (laughs) what the action on screen is it's it's strange and 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 with the same uh, kind of on that soundscape note it's like the first movie like it has john williams scoring it so it's just like oh it's yeah home alone 3 is not going to have the uh the power of a john williams score behind it so you know no the john williams score for the original film is definitely one of his best works and uh 
there's so much precision to the way he kind of scores the action of each scene and makes the tone really work, even though it shouldn't, like, it shouldn't work to have these three Stooges gags in this sincere family movie that's, you know, supposed to be a, a heartwarming Christmas movie where people are getting their heads set on fire, but the score really does make a big difference in that, and it is certainly missed here. Right. And... A couple other things that I just noticed was there's a few weird things Chicago specific here. The most notable is that they keep on saying like it's severe weather in Chicago and it is a light snow. It is a very, (laughs) very light snow. Like it wouldn't be it wouldn't even be considered severe weather like in Seattle. It'd be like, oh, it's snowing, so we can't do anything. But you wouldn't be like, oh, my gosh, there's a blizzard right now in Seattle. You'd be like, oh, it's snowing. Tuck in. If you're in Spokane or Montana or wherever, it would be like, oh, yeah, it's just like snowing out. It's not like, but the, like the newscasters are like, oh, I can't do anything. You can't, you're not going to be able to do anything because it's so, the weather's so severe. It's like, oh, I don't think so. Also, when Alex eventually calls like a recruiting office to an army recruiting office to report that this chip is missing, and then it tips off the FBI guys who are trying to follow these spies. And then apparently they have to like fly out, rush to get there as if there's like no FBI presence in Chicago that they couldn't be like, hey, go directly to this house. They're like in, I guess, New York City. And they're like, well, we have to like fly. We personally have to fly out there and go to his house and nothing will be intercepted before we physically get there, (laughs) which... Yeah, no, we don't. We can't call ahead of time. We can't let them know, hey, maybe hang on to that. Don't leave your son alone in case there's crooks that want to come in and kill him. Nah, yeah, that's the that's a stretch too. Yeah, there, there's there's an electric fart in one of the in one of these where the guy's getting electrocuted and somehow he uh, farts electric electrical like why yeah. waves. <laughs> uh, that's that's interesting. Talking about like the conclusion of this movie. First off, so the one like main bad guy, Alex points the gun at him and he runs away and he runs away and hides in like a doghouse or something like that. And Alex like already set up that there were fire like there'd be fireworks in it, which is like the biggest jump of his plan where it's just like at some point the main bad guy is going to leave and he's going to definitely hide in this like (laughs) doghouse and like. I'll have it booby trapped. It's just like, okay, that's that's a lot for <laughs> that's a big yeah. stretch. Also, then in the conclusion, they're like dragging all the spies out of the house. And the woman, Alice, who like fell down there like dumb waiter, is like a contorted it's like kind of disturbing how yeah. she's like a contorted mess of limbs, like something out of like a horror movie almost <laughs> which is a lot yeah i don't know it just it just seemed very severe for the amount of violence in the rest of the movie did not like match how like messed up she was at the end also she looks more like scarlett johansson's mom um the actress who plays it than know. than the mom in the movie i forget what the actress's name is but it's uh let's see raya kildestet anyway she it's it's kind of interesting because it's there aren't a lot of and it's become more but it's this like there's not a lot of people roles where it's like a beautiful actress taking all the pratfalls and <laughs> that's kind yeah. of a unique thing that uh this has i guess we should also say 
this wasn't the last Home Alone movie. There were two direct to, I guess it would probably be VHS or DVD. I don't know exactly. Mm-hmm. But there's uh, The Wonderful World of Disney's Home Alone 4 and Home Alone The Holiday Heist, which I am not familiar with either of those. And then just a few weeks ago, Disney Plus released Home Sweet Home Alone, which is a new Home Alone starring like one of the side kids from Jojo Rabbit and with uh, Rob Delaney and Ellie Kemper as the quote unquote robbers. Anyway, this so <clears throat> I feel like we should take we've I think we've both seen Home Sweet Home Alone and I feel like we should take like a minute or two to discuss how bad this movie is. Especially, it's so yeah, much. It's you, uh, so much. Home Alone three is a lot better than the new Home Alone. So, if, so if you see there's a new Home Alone on Disney Plus, and you're like, you know what, I might try that. You probably also haven't watched Home Alone three. Just, just watch Home Alone three instead, or just watch the original. Yeah. Just you, you don't need to experience yeah. Home Alone, Home Sweet Home Alone, because it is a very, it's like fundamentally a flawed Home Alone franchise setup. Yes. Yeah, you uh, you asked if we want to do this one. I didn't know this existed until the day before it came out. It was not something that we had in mind when we planned this. No, episode, no, we did not. We did not plan it, it because of this, but it just is a coincidence. Yeah, and you messaged me a few days ago, and we're like, "Do we want to talk about this one as well? Should I watch it?" And I I was halfway through watching it at the time to see if I wanted to talk about it, and I almost said no, don't, just because. I feel like if we all just ignore it, maybe it will go away. <laughs> like this one is not like Home Alone 2 where it's playing in the same. It's got some fan servicey things like Buzz from the first, so, yeah, first I two actually, movie shows. I actually out. think like the, the, the fan servicey things might be the best part of it. So just yeah. because I don't want you to watch this, I'm fine. Spoiling. So it's like the fan servicey thing is, yeah, the brother. What's his Buzz, as you say? Was his name? Buzz is the brother, yeah. Yeah, the so brother. he plays like the cop in the neighborhood. So when... The, there's a call for the break-in the, from the kid who's home alone. And Buzz is the one who shows up on the scene, and he's kind of goofy. And then it's like he doesn't further investigate the things because, A, Kevin McAllister apparently, which I think is a fun move, he, like, does home security. Like, he's just, like, a rich home security guy. So, like, houses have, yeah, like, McAllister home security on their, like, front lawn, like, security system signs. And he's like, I'm not going to investigate this further. Kevin calls every year and like reports that like it's all like a goof. So that was actually fun. The The main problem with the movie is that the you want the bad guys to win very badly because yes. they are essentially Rob Delaney and Ellie Kemper who are doing their best in this movie. I They, they, they give good performances for what the crappy material yeah. they've get, they're given. And they basically are like parents who don't want it are like the dad's out of work and they're going to have to sell their family house and they have a couple of kids and they think that this uh, bratty little kid who's played by the side kid from Jojo Rabbit, he stole this like weird priceless doll that they have. So they're like, we're going to get this doll back and save our family. And he is just they are the only two likable characters in this movie. That's the thing. I would say that's a stretch. I'd say they're the least unlikable characters. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. They're not, they're not like awesome, but you definitely want in comparison to the, yeah, you want, you want Alex and you want Kevin McAllister to like win. 
you definitely want the quote unquote robbers who are just trying to get back the thing that they already have. And like capitalism is just like screwing them over so bad that like and technology and all these things. So they're just like trying to save their home. And this kid's just like torturing them. And you're like, yeah. no, I want I want these people to win. It doesn't. <laughs> It fundamentally doesn't work as a Home Alone movie if you're cheering for the bad guys and you just, every time they're getting hurt, you're like, oh, those poor people, they're just trying to save their home. It's just shot much more as a horror movie in the new one as well. Like the the gags themselves are, I don't know if they're more violent or not, but they feel much more violent because they're like just visceral and just loud and awful and you really feel them getting hurt. Like there's a scene where he sets Ellie Kemper's feet on fire and it's just awful. It's a nasty, really mean-spirited movie all around. There's a lot of just not not happiness, not not happiness at all. It's a uh, it's a rough. Don't watch that. But that this is this is our PSA. Do not watch. Don't watch that movie. You don't have to do it. Watch Home Alone three instead. <laughs> I'm spinning this positive where it's just like I'm not the biggest Home Alone three fan, but go watch Home Alone three instead of Home Sweet Home Alone. It's a much better movie. It's not a movie that I... Home Alone 3 is a movie that I yes. love. and w- it, Kevin will <laughs> recommend it fully and go out to say it. I'll, I'll be like, if you want to watch it, it, it's not the worst thing. It's not my highest, like... It's not, uh, on the episode list, it's not my highest of like, actually, this is me agreeing with you and this is actually amazing. But it is a lot better than a lot of the options you have out there. And it's also not a Christmas movie. So if you're looking for a January movie that you want to watch, that's sort of wintry, maybe, maybe it fills that void more than, yeah. more than that Christmas holiday void. It still has heart. It still has sweetness to it. For like sure. his relationship with the old woman is, is really nice. And like when they end up realizing that they're, they're both not such terrible people after all and getting along at the end, that's really heartwarming, but it doesn't feel like it's, tugging your heartstrings just for the sake of doing a Christmas movie. It feels like it's just turning that on its own right for its own reasons. Yep. All right. So is there anything you would like to plug on your way out, Kevin? Yeah, you can uh, you can check out my YouTube channel as always. It's called There Will Be FUD. FUD like Elmer Fudd, F-U-D-D. Mm-hmm. I just started a new series called Disney Dumpster Dives, wherein I use a random number generator to pick a random movie off of Disney+. Plus. And then I have to review it. So the first episode is about Belle's Magical World, the second direct-to-video sequel to Beauty Ooh. and the Beast. How is so that? Hear me, it's not very good. <laughs> oh yeah, you're not. It's, you're not gonna. Th- that's not our next Home episode. Two and six, that's not our next episode. Is Belle's whatever the hell no. you just said? <laughs> we we could do the Enchanted Christmas, which is the the first sequel to Beauty and the Beast, which is not bad at all. I talk about that hmm. one a little in the video as well, but. If you want to hear my thoughts on that, you can go there. I also have one on Alfred Hitchcock's Topaz, where I talk about how he uses MacGuffins through a lot of his movies. So if you want to learn more about MacGuffins, you can watch that. And if you do want to see a violent, mean-spirited, awful Home Alone ripoff that is actually great, I would recommend Better Watch Out, the horror Christmas comedy that came out a few years back. Not a lot of people saw that one, but it's wonderful. It's a, a home invasion movie with a little kid in the main role and I can't really say much more than that because it's one of those movies where pretty much any plot details are spoilers. Right. For sure, if you want to see something that kind of 
twists the idea of Home Alone in the same way that the new movie meant to and did not succeed on any level in doing. This one does it really well in terms of playing your expectations uh, in a very fun way. And it's got a lot of references to Home Alone and Ferris Bueller's Day Off and other movies of that era that are uh, very well done, not at all just kind of groaner references, but really well lived in homages that serve a new purpose and kind of play with the ideas in new ways. So I would highly recommend that. I think it's free on Shudder. It might not still be, but that's how I watched it. If you have Shudder, if you're a horror fan, mm-hmm. recommend. So, uh, yeah. And I think we have a rough plan for the next episode, which is another thing that will involve me watching a bunch of movies and may or may <laughs> not involve the least well-respected Pixar franchise. So if you know what that is already and want to get on board watching those, uh, go ahead and do that because we will get to that eventually. (laughs) My first point for that one is going to be the exact same as my first point for Home Alone 3, if that gives you any clues as to which movie we're talking about. Mm. Thanks again for coming on, Kevin. And remember, even if everyone else mocks it, love the stuff you love. (laughs) 